Uh, he came and preached for us two weeks ago, and last week, Pastor Werner. That was a blessing to have him over here, and he continues sends his love and his greetings to our church. And it's important for us to know that we are not standing alone. This is not a canoe with a big cannon on, and we say we're going to take on the world. No, we have got brothers and sisters who support us and pray for us, and that is important. Amen? So, today we're going to roll up the sleeves and get back into the book of Revelation. We've got three more chapters to finish this book. Who, is, who enjoyed Revelation? Who's learned a lot from it? I've learned a lot from it as well, you know, going through it again. And sometimes it's things that you've heard before, and you just hear them again, and it re-emphasizes the facts in the, in, in the Word or in the book. Today we want to look and, and look at chapter 20. You remember last time when we were together, we were in chapter 19, and it was wonderful. We saw in chapter 19 a big chapter, a massive chapter, because it shows who is winning at the end of this book, who is in control of this whole world. And we're going to see that now flowing into chapter 20, and we're going to see what happens to Satan. We're going to see what happened to the old dragon, that Lucifer. But it was so wonderful in chapter 19 to see Jesus Christ, the rider on the white horse, coming out. And you know that his clothes was dipped in red. And he's the one who's going to have the war. Uh, the battle of Armageddon is going to happen. And it said there that out of his mouth came a, a, a sword. Now somebody asked me once, he said, how? It's going to be terrible for him to hold a sword in his teeth. It's not that kind of sword. It's the word of God. And now we flow into chapter 20, and our key verse there for me is in chapter 20, verse 4. And just the part thereof, he says, And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. They lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And there's a few things that we're going to understand about this world. You know the doom sayers say that this whole world is going to blow up, it's going to stop existing. Well, I've got news for them. It's written here in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, that this earth is going to be still here for how long? At least a thousand more years. I know they say it's a new earth and a new heavens. That's fine. But this is the location. Because I've read in the book, in the, in, in the Bible, that Christ is coming back here. And He's going to set His feet on the Mount of Olives. Here. And He's going to go to Jerusalem. And he's going to reign from Jerusalem. But let me not go ahead of myself, but let's follow it through the word in Revelation chapter 20. So if you've got your Bible there, I'm excited to go. Are you? Who's excited? Shall we kick it off? Let's get into it. Revelation chapter 20 verse 1. He says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid a hold of the dragon that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. That is so clear, isn't it? We all know who he is. We see all his names there for us now, right in front of us. That old deceiver, that old father of lies, there he is in all his glory. And now he says, and he bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. 
and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more. He should deceive people and the nations no more. Till the thousand years were finished. But after these things he must be released for a little while. We'll address that. It is really interesting that he uses an angel here. Have you noticed that? And he did not give this angel a name. There's a lot of speculation. And there's a lot of scholars and teachers who say that this is Jesus himself. But the word doesn't teach that to me. And I do not want to read meaning into the scriptures. He just says that to an unnamed angel. He didn't say Gabriel. Who is on the same level as Lucifer. He didn't say Michael, who's on the same level as Lucifer. He didn't say Jesus, who's at a higher level as Lucifer. He didn't say God, which is one. It's God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. No, no. He uses an unnamed angel here, which is absolutely fascinating for me to understand that it is not Christ, and it's not God who deals with Satan. He sends an angel. He sends an angel as a declaration that Satan is not equal with God. He's not equal with God. It fascinates me that there's some people who bring Satan up to the level of Jesus Christ. But he's only a created being. And, and Jesus is a creator. Satan is not. He's a created being. He's not on Jesus and God's level. He's not there. I said it before and I'm going to say it again. You and I think that we are strong in this life. I mean, some people pump iron and they pump iron and their muscles become as big as my legs. And they are really strong. And look, if they grab all of them, they can squash my ribs. I know that. But there's always a stronger man than that man on this earth. Some people are so clever. They can do maths just like that out of the head. And they've got all the philosophies and they can be much more. They've got a very high IQ. But there's always a more cleverer person than Einstein. There's always one that comes out that beats the previous one. We see it in sport. We see our record stand and then it gets better and better and better. But friends, at God's level there ain't anybody else. It's God and Him alone. There's nobody better than God. There's no one better than Jesus Christ. There's no one stronger than Him. Then it fascinates me that people say that I'm going to have a fight with God. Who do you think you are? Who do you think? An angel kills 70,000. An angel do that. And you, you can't even take on an And you want to take on God. It's fascinating, friends, that here we see that he say, an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And what is he going to do with that chain? It says it right there. He's going to grab a hold of Satan and he's going to chain him. Now, he doesn't say what kind of chain that is. And it's things that you and I can't anticipate. We can't work this out. Is it an iron chain? What kind of chain is it? You see, God needs to come to our level to describe to us things, to make it understandable for us. If I think of an iron chain, it's a strong thing. It holds stronger than ropes. So the message here is, is, is it a literal chain? 
Friends, I believe it will be a chain that keeps him so strong that he can't move. We don't only see this chain here, we see it also in Jude chapter 1, verse 6. He says, and the angels, now he uses a plural, because not only talking about Lucifer, he talks about his cohorts and all of those who did not keep the proper domain, but left their abode. What happened to them? He has reserved in the everlasting chains under the darkness for the judgment of the great day. To this day, there are angels which are kept by chains for the great day. Now, I'm, I'm not here to try to explain to you that. I take comfort in this, that there cometh a day of reckoning for Lucifer. You see, he, comes, he gets away with a lot of things these days, and people say, how can he get away with that? No, no, nobody gets away from God. And here we see the account. Look at these strong, powerful words that's used. He laid a hold of him. You see that? And then he says later on, he bound him. For a thousand years and then he says later on he cast him the Greek word there means violently cast him into the bottomless pit and then he shut him up and then he sets a seal on him why so that he deceived the nations no longer no longer friends there's a teaching that's going out which is called spiritual warfare and people say take on the devil and we're going to bind the devil. And they pray and they walk around and say, we bind you, Satan. We bind you, Lucifer. I want to say to you, I read in the Bible, the only time that he's going to be bound is where? It's in Revelation. It's right there. So you get a lot of people who's binding Satan. And they give all of the, you know, it's him. You know, Satan has been evaluated. You know, he's been lifted up for a lot of things that people do. And now they say it's Satan. They give him so much power which he hasn't got. He will be bound. We read it right there. You say, wait a minute, what do we do then? Aren't we in a spiritual war? Yes, we are. We're in a war. Paul says that. But how do we do that? How do we stand strong against Lucifer? It says it right there. Peter writes this down by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He says it like this. He says, be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks like a roaring lion. Here we find him. Devil. Wait a minute. It says it right there in chapter uh, 20 verse 2. He laid a hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, the devil and Satan. Is Peter talking about the same person? Yes. He says, your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Have you seen a roaring lion? I've been to the zoo, I see them, they are powerful things. And if they are hungry, watch out. Stay out of the enclosure. He walks around because he's hungry to do what? To deceive you. Now what does Peter then say? Does he say, man, now we're going to have a prayer meeting and we're going to bound him, bound him. No, no, he doesn't say that. You know what he says? He says, resist him. Have you noticed? Resist him. And then he says, steadfast in the faith. He's going to be bound to deceive the nations no more. And the only way that you can do that is with the truth. How do you resist the, the, the devil? You stand in the truth. That's how you resist him. 
Resist him, steadfast in the faith. The secret of spiritual warfare is very simple, dear friends. It is to stand steadfast. The word steadfast there means resist him. It's a resistance against him. As we stand steadfast in the faith, we resist the devil, his lies and his deception. And how do we do that? Just stand on the word of God, the truth. He's the father of lies. He tells lies. You know, somebody comes to you and they start gossiping about somebody else. The best way of finding out the truth is say, just hang on, they will quickly call that person in. And you've got the truth. And then we talk about it. The best way, Lucifer loves the dark, friends. He'll come to you and say, don't tell everybody. Keep it a secret between us. And you know what happens? He works like a cockroach. He's the one in the dark places. Have you seen? We've had a steakhouse in South Africa. And you know what? Cockroach, in, in, it's there. Where there's heat, where there's food, it's there. I know a lot of people look at me now and go, I wouldn't have eaten at your place. <laughs> but you know what we do? Once we shine a light in those dark little corners, they scatter. They run all over. Have you noticed that? Have you seen that in your life? I love it when the light of Jesus Christ shines into the dark corners of our hearts. You know what, what runs out? The cockroaches. Once a year we close the place down and we put a bomb in there. Not a bomb that's going to blow the place. <laughs> it's a gas bomb, okay? You flip it out and then we go on leaf and we close the doors and everything. And it's dark inside and the gas is there. When we return back from holiday two weeks later, you know, we walk in, it's just everywhere. You open it up and the light come in. We open up the windows and the light shine in. You see, sometimes you see the work of the evil one after it's been done. That's when it causes problems for you. You see what the cross of Christ is that he brings the light before it's done. Are you with me now? When we let those bombs off, we go away, we don't see. When we come back, we see the evidence. Do not let sin do its full extent of work on your life, friend, and then see the results afterwards. No, no, no. Before it happens, come to the cross. Let the marvelous light of Christ shine into the dark places. This is how we resist Him. Not with trying to walk around and bind Him. I find it absolutely great that there cometh a day that He's going to be bound and with his strong words and so that he can deceive the nations no more and that's the biggest weapon of him is the deceiver and like I've said the best defense against deceivement is what? is the truth the truth and that stands on the word of God now before I move on look at this here he's going to be bound for how long? for a thousand years in the next few verses you read six times about the thousand years six times the millennial it is pretty important for you to understand to sit here today as a child of God to understand what the millennial is all about there is such a different ideas in the world and concepts about the millennial let me just clear a few out for you quickly right now how do you understand the thousand years sitting here today I might show you some names here today that you, or, or concepts that you haven't heard before, but it's important for you to know this. Because we see it play out in our world. You see, the early church believed that Christ will literally come back to this earth and reign here. 
He will come back to the earth, set up His kingdom in Jerusalem, and He will reign. And that, dear friends, is what the Bible teaches. Jesus Christ Himself will come down from heaven. We've read it in the chapters before. He will put His two feet on the Mount of Olives. There will be a massive earthquake. He will walk through the eastern gate into Jerusalem and He will set up what will be then the mightiest kingdom on the face of this planet. And also the mightiest kingdom through all history past. And also the mightiest kingdom for future onwards. Why? Because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords Himself will rule this with a rod of iron. This is happening. The early church preached that and that's what the Bible teaches. But oh, you see in the 300s, there was a man by the name of Tychonius. And he started saying for the first time, no, 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 wait a minute. This is not a literal one. This is a spiritual reign that's going to happen. And they started talking about the spiritual realm. Have you heard that recently? I'll tell you where I hear it. Self-proclaimed prophets, self-proclaimed apostles today are preaching it to the church. They say, listen, we are living in this world, but there's another realm. There's another spiritual realm. And we need to evaluate or we need to move into that other world. And they say, man, when we pray, we need to pray so that we can pray in. Have you heard that concept? You don't just pray, you pray yourself in. Into what? Where is the teaching of that in the Word of God? You see, the deceiver has grabbed hold of these people. It's rife in the church. And it's called amillennialism. Amillennialism means there is going to be no literal millennium on the earth, like we read in the book of Revelation. They don't believe in that. They just say it's going to be in the spiritual world. And you know that man, Augustine, the first pope of the Roman church? He grabbed onto that teaching. He is an amillennialist. He doesn't believe in a literal return of Jesus Christ. And the Roman Catholic church don't believe in it either. No, they've got their popes, which is the representation of God upon this earth, which is a massive lie. Then out of that flew what you call post-millennialism. You know what post-millennialism is? And this is, I would say today, in the church today, while we are here in 2017, 80% of the churches are teaching this. You know what teaching this is? Kingdom now. That is what post-millennialism means. It means that the kingdom will be set up and then Christ will come and He will rule this kingdom that we have set up. 80%. 80% of churches is preaching this from the pulpits today. You will hear concepts and words like kingdom boulders. Have you heard that somewhere? It will come out in the music. They will sing in the music, we are building the kingdom and we are now the next new generation. That's the preaching today from the pulpits. And you've got to be careful. You've got to warn your friends. You've got to warn your children. We have to defend the faith. How do we defend the faith? By standing on the truth. Satan came and, and now the spirit of the world has entered into the church and now he can deceive. Because friends, the world is deceived. When that spirit moves into the church, it deceives the church and you get post-millennialism being preached to them. Now if you walk up to these people and say, you are a post-millennialist, they would say yes. 
We need to get the church 100% correct and pure before Christ can return. This is manifest sons of God preaching. This is dominionism preaching. It's kingdom now preaching. And I say it to you, dear friends, it's 80% of the churches are preaching it today. They will preach two lines of the scriptures and then tell you stories about how to build the kingdom. They will have a strong leadership and they will prompt up their leadership and the leadership will take on the church. Man, God didn't build so much. You know God is upside down. He says, if you want to be a leader, you first become a servant. Upside down. Post-millennialists. These are the ones who will draw the crowds. You will have words like a vibrant church. You will have preaching from the pulpits that says, look, we need to get rid of the sinners out of the church. They believe in perfectionism. They, they will preach those sermons. They will say, don't come and sit here and be a sinner. Get out. We want just the pure here because if the pure is here, then Christ will return. But that's not where it stops, friends. They are now trying to take on the governments, the seven mountains. They want to rule every single facet of life with, with God. Do not be deceived, church. Do not be deceived. It is happening right in front of us. But I've got good news for you. There cometh a day, and we've read about it, that Satan the deceiver is going to be bound for a thousand years, and the true light will shine. And you know what's going to happen with the cockroaches? They're going to run. <laughs> If the gas don't keep them, they're going to run. Then we get a premillennialist. Now I'm a premillennialist. And I believe the Bible teaches premillennialism. And this is what it says. Christ will come to set his own feet on this earth and he will build his own kingdom. The problem with postmillennialists is they will build a kingdom. Christ will come and say, that's not my kingdom. You have to change and you have to bow your knees because the Bible says that every knee will bow before him and acknowledge that he is Lord. You see, the post... I, I, I need to calm down. <laughs> the postmillennialists, you know what they say? The power lays within you. Within your saying, word of faith, you can call things into existence or not. That is humanism. Let me just flow this out because it's part of, you can't say I just picked it. We need to address this for you to understand. This is a millennial. You, it's us. You know what they will say? We are the sons of God. Oh man, you are a God. Look at you, you're a God, you're a small Messiah. Everything you say has got power. Your words can kill and they can make it, you know, let's call it into existence. You know what it is? Let's call it for what it is. It's a deceiving from the deceiver. Why? Because his spirit has entered into the church. But no, the Bible teaches premillennialism. I've got a few scripture verses there, but for time I'm not going to read all. But I do want to read Isaiah chapter 2. Let's just go there. You say you've, you've babbled on so long about it. Give us some scripture. Now let's do that. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 2. And again, friends, it is not for me to try to convince you this. You have got the responsibility to go and do Bible study for yourself and go and find these verses to confirm that the Bible teaches premillennialism. For the first time I'm falling over that. I practice that so many times to say it right. Amen? You know what I'm talking about. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. 
I'm going to read from verse 1. It says, The word of Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days, you see that? That the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. This is talking about the future as a future prophecy about the millennial. Verse 3, many people shall come and say, what are they going to say? It is our kingdom, call it into existence. What are they going to say? No, come and let us go up to the mountain of whom? The Lord, His title, to the house of God, of Jacob. What will He do? He will teach us His ways. Now, for those people who believe the millennial is already happening, is this happening currently? No. Israel is not ready yet. You see, because Israel today, God hasn't replaced them, don't start listening to me wrong here, but they are still in error. The nation of Israel are still in error. They are not today walking in these ways. They are walking according to the Torah, but they are not accepting Jesus Christ. They are in error. And I pray for them, and you should pray for them as well. Because friends, whether they are in error or not, we are grafted into them. They, God hasn't replaced them with a spiritual church. They are still, God's still got a plan for them. But here it says, there cometh a day when they're going to go up to them, and they're going to ask Him to teach them His way. Who's going to sit on the throne? Jesus Christ Himself. Fantastic, isn't it? Now he continues on, he says, And we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from where? Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. Listen to this. They shall beat the swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. For time's sake, I'm going to stop it there, but you can go and read. It's your responsibility to read on. Now, let's continue on. Revelation chapter 4, 20 verse 4. He says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God. That's happening today and we know that this is talking about what we've read in the previous chapters. Who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Who are they? It's the saints. It's you and me, friend. They lived and they reigned. Today, what are they doing with Christians? They're killing them. Is it right? You go around the world and, and friend, let me just bring you the stark reality. It's coming to Australia, yeah? It's coming to New Zealand. It's coming to the Western world. I'll just throw this bit in. I'm not going to go on, on a, another rabbit trail, but this vote that's coming up, it's more than it, what it says it is. It's more than that. 
They killing Christians. They think we kill you. We dead you. Dead. Dead. Man, I've got great news. I've got absolutely great news for you this morning. It says right there, they left. Yeah? You should shout hallelujah right now. You should say, praise God! Hallelujah! They cannot kill you. If you're in Christ, they cannot kill you. Oh, wait a minute. They're going to kill this body. So what? It's getting older anyway. Have you noticed? <laughs> this is not where it ends, friend. This is temporary. Paul says this is a tent. Look, 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 he says, they lived and reigned with Christ. Look, if you want encouragement for life, there's your encouragement right there. We're going to be young in heaven. We're going to run. I don't know. I'm just speculating now, but it's nice to speculate. I love it. They lived and they reigned with Christ for a thousand. Now the question is, what will we do? Some person said we lie under a tree and just keep on eating bananas because he loved bananas. <laughs> Another person says, man, I, you know, one, one thing that I really get a kick out is mowing lawns. I go, yeah, come and mow my lawns as well. He goes, I'm going to mow lawns forever in heaven. You know, where are you coming from? What are we going to do in heaven? Well, we find an indication in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. First of all, what are we going to do? He says it right there. We're going to live and reign with Christ. We're going to reign with Him. So there's an indication of what we're going to do. But here it gives us a little bit more explanation. He says, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to the law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Now just to put it into context for you, Paul is writing to the church. And he's talking about disputes that's happening amongst brothers. Some brother doing some other brother something wrong in the church. He says, don't run to the courts. Come to the church. Let's sort it out. This is where it's going, to give you context. But listen. Verse 2. Do you not know that the saints... Will all the saints please quickly put up their hands? Okay, you need to understand, a saint is not what the Roman Catholic has got with those sailors around them, okay? A saint is a born-again, blood-washed child of God. Okay, I can explain that, and we can preach that, okay? A different sermon, but... He says here, listen to this. Do you not know that the saints will do what? will judge the world. Wow. Since you have you ever thought about that? You'll judge the world. When's that going to happen? In the millennial. How? When we reign with Christ. We're going to judge the world. Now how's that judgment going to be? I don't know. I haven't got all the answers. But he does. And he knows exactly what he's doing and I trust him. Now look at this now. He says... And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters in this life? Okay? Verse 3. Do you not know? Hello, dirt, don't you know this? Hello, do you don't know that we shall judge whom? Angels. Man, that's going to keep you busy for a thousand years. <laughs> now, what kind of judgment is that? I don't think it's going to be judgment wrong and right judgment. Because that's been taken care of. And remember, we're going to live in a thousand years of perfect reign with Christ. The deceiver is gone. There's so many nice things that's going to happen in this thousand years. Pests is gone. The cure for cancer is gone. It says it, you know, and, and if you start reading about it, people will live out their full lives. 
When you are born, look forward for a full life to be lived out to 120 years old or longer. You say, how did it happen? It happened before, friend. It happened before the flood. People lived to become very, very old. Very old. Uh, I reckon we need to preach through the book of Genesis. We should have preached through Genesis before we did Revelation. Because, friends, I will tell you one thing. There's things in Genesis which will make you gobsmack. You'll go, whoop, I didn't know that. I believe at this point in time, in the millennial, we will stop eating meat. You go, oh, no, you're telling me I'm going to stop barbecuing. What's going on? Because it says in one passage in one of the prophets that a small child will sit with the lion. Fascinating, isn't it? And here he says now, we will judge. And now, let's continue in verse 5. He says, but the rest of the dead, how is it now? He says here, but you will, the saints will reign with Christ. What will happen to the rest of the dead? They did not live again until the thousand years were finished. They did not live again. Didn't say they were not thinking or couldn't they, because they are currently in a place called Hades. They are there. They're aware, but they couldn't live like we live on the earth then until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. And I would want to say this is the resurrection you want to be part of. Now why? Because it says it there, blessed and holy is he who is part of the first resurrection. The rest of the dead is the ones without Christ. Very good question. So the rest of the dead is the ones which did not reign with Christ here, the saints. You see? And then he says the first resurrection, blessed and holy is he who is part of the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. You see, now it says that we will be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign for a thousand years. But these ones will not be that. You see, there's a second concept that's coming in here. He talks about a second death. Did you know that there's two deaths that you can die? First one is this physical body, and that's the one that people fear the most. Why? Because we're afraid of how we die. I've talked to a man once, and a very old saint is with the Lord now, and he's also been in, 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 you know, preaching to people, and he told me the same thing that I've heard. He said when he deals with people, they say the only fear they've got for death is they are afraid. They don't know how they're going to die. Is it going to be painful? Is it not going to be painful? Friends, we can't walk through life with that fear upon our heads. Don't fear this death. But the second death is separation from God for eternity. That's not a blessed one. Look at this. This is blessed are the ones. And holy is he who is part of the first resurrection. And the second death has no power over him. And that's the one you want to be part of. Look. It's not only that, but John writes about the same thing about resurrections. He says in John 5, 28, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the grace will hear His voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. This is the first resurrection. This unica will also answer your question. This is the first resurrection. The ones who have done good. When will they be resurrected? They will be resurrected in part of the thousand years, the first resurrection. And those who have done evil 
to the resurrection of condemnation. But we're going to read about that now. Look at verse 7. First, we're going to see a, re a release of Satan. He says in verse 7, Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number is of the sand of the sea. Now one can say, wait a minute, this is confusing. Isn't this Armageddon? No, it's not. It's not Armageddon. It happens after the thousand years. And here we see that he's got a short time. And he goes out. And, and you can also say, why, why would God allow him to go out again? Why would he? And why would there be people after the perfect reign of Christ still fall for Satan and be deceived? For this reason, dear friends, that man has got no excuse to say all these years we were under hardship and so on and, and we followed you. We wanted to have a perfect life and then follow you. You see, outwardly they followed him, but inwardly they did not embrace his lordship. And God is showing man's intent of his heart with what's happening here. With all of the goodness that they had, still within man's heart, there's no good thing. The Bible says that all the bad intent comes out of the heart of man. And here he happens again. Now this is more. This is a more multitude. Because remember, in this thousand years of perfect, there's more population on the earth. And now there's more. And he, and he pulls Gog and Magog, which talks about these entities that's coming on. Now some people do want to tie these to Russia and to the old prophecies. But it's a total different warrior because it's from the four corners of the earth. And by the way, this does not mean that the earth is flat. I won't start that one, but it says the four corners. North, east, south and west. They will come against him. You see, these people will rebel, rebel against God and God will allow it. Has it happened before? Yes. The Garden of Eden. You remember in the Garden of Eden, God said, Thou shalt not eat. Man was perfect. And then what happened? The deceiver came into the Garden of Eden. And he said, Did God say? And what happened? They sinned. <coughs> Did God leave them in the Garden of Eden? No, He chased them out. What could have happened if they stayed in the Garden of Eden? Sinful man could have touched the tree of life and lived. That will be a defilement. So what did God do? He chased them out of the Garden of Eden and he placed an angel in front of the Garden of Eden so that mankind could not return there. The only way back into the Garden is through Jesus Christ. And this is the same concept that's happened here. Um, he let him lose. Now, this is a very short battle. This is why I say it's not the same as Armageddon. And this is a total different concept here. Christ is not coming back now to have a battle with these. No, no. We read in Revelation 20 verse 9, They went up from the breath of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. What is it with them in Jerusalem? They just want to destroy. They're still going to do to try to do that. And this is how this war happens. It's over before it starts. A fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. What happened in chapter 19? Christ came down. Why, how did He devour them? How did He fight them? With a sword that came out of His mouth, the Word of God. What is this one here? 
God came down with fire and devoured them. Two different battles. This is over before it even started. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's the final resting place for him, for the beast and the false prophet, the Antichrist, and also for those without God. I want you to listen now. He says in verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. This is the white throne judgment. Now friends, everybody will be at this throne. Everybody. There is no escape for one person in this room or on this earth. Through the ages. But you and I will not be there to be judged. Now I believe we will be there to be spectators. Here we find the second resurrection that will happen. And these people will stand before that white throne. You say, why? Because you and I will already would have appeared before another throne, which the Bible calls in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. He says, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. Who's He talking about? He's talking about you and me. My question to you is, are you aiming, is it your aim to be well-pleasing to God? That is what He says there. For we must all appear, you see that? Before the judgment seat of Christ. This is called in Hebrew or in Greek the Bema seat. The Bema seat. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what is done, whether good or bad. This is talking about Christians. This is talking about saints. We're going to appear before Christ. Not the white throne judgment for judgment. This judgment here, because Christ has already paid the debt, He's taken your sins away. Now, after He's taken your sins away, listen, you were not saved just to sit in church and listen to sermons. You've got a work to do. That might come as a shock for somebody. What? Yes, you've got a work to do. You were not saved and become a child of God just to come to church on Sundays. You've got to use this faith that God has given you and start using it and start working with it. Not to better yourself, but to better Him. Or to work His faith through you. This is what it is. We must all appear before Him. You say, where do you find this? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 3, verse 12. He says, now, if anyone builds on this foundation, this is Christ, is the foundation there, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, each one's work will become clear where and when at this judgment seat of Christ. He's talking to Christians here. He's not talking to the world. He's not talking to e uh, uh, the evil unbelievers. He's talking to the saved ones here. He says, we as a church here in Karam Downs, you, each one of you, will appear before this judgment seat. And what will happen? Your work will become clear. Your work that you do. You say, what work can I do? Look, friend, there's much that you can do. Not for the church, for Him. Giving somebody a glass of water. 
helping. You, you remember when they came to, to John the Baptist and say, what must we do? He says, you've got two tunics. Give one away. Don't be selfish. Start living for your brothers and sisters, not for yourself. This is it. It will become clear, friend. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. I love it when I one time worked through this passage and I was reading about Jesus Christ's description in, one, and in Revelation chapter 1. What, what is his eyes going to be? Like fire. You will stand before him one day, friend, and he will look right through you. No good you put up a, a mask in front of him and go, Oh, I'm the Sunday school Christian. I'm so good. He can see right through you. Because your works will become clear before him. You see, you thought it's just a life where you come and you get saved with a five-minute prayer. You sit and you grow. No. You've got to start applying it. He says it right there. It will become like fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work is burnt, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. This has got nothing to do with your salvation. Let me be perfectly clear about this. It's about the work you do. Because friend, while you're a child of God in the work you do after the cross, you will be rewarded for that. Where and when? In the thousand years when you reign with Christ. This is too much for our brains to, 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 to comprehend. But this is what the Bible teaches. He says, suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Some will be rewarded and some will not. But you will reign. I can spend a lot of time there, but time is pressing on. Let's continue on in verse 12. We've got now the whole court is sitting. And I love this part. He says, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. You see that? It's fascinating. It doesn't say iPads or Apple Mac or MacBook Pros. No, heaven is still not caught up with the digital technology. No, books were opened. Books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. Now let me ask you the question, dear friend. Is your name written in the book of life this morning? If you have come to the cross and He saved you, your name is in the book of life. He says this. Then the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Why the sea? Because, friends, those bodies were lost. They were not buried, but it still gave it up. And the death in Hades was delivered up. And, the de and delivered the dead who were in them and they were judged each one according to each works I want you to understand one thing people say that I will have my day in court you've heard that phrase there's some people who has a terrible life here on earth and they say I can't wait and wait for that white throne judgment and stand before God and I'll have my day in court friend let me tell you one thing the fact is this court session is sitting for sentencing they are already condemned. If you don't come to Christ, you're already condemned. You say, prove it for me. Let me just quickly read you a verse. Um, John chapter 3, if you want to go there. What is the most favorite verse in the Bible? John chapter 3, 16. What does it say? He 
You see, people love to use this verse and they put it into Christmas cards and all of these things. But they just grab it out of context, don't they? John chapter 3 verse 16. He says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. If your Bible hasn't got the word begotten in there, write it in or get the right Bible. Okay, I won't go there. Just say that. That whosoever or whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's not where it stops, friend. Listen. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Listen further. He who believes in Him is not condemned. Yes? He who believes in Him. That belief is not, yes, I believe in Him. No, no. There is a process of being born again. I want to say it in this way. He who is not born again is condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So when I talk about this judgment, these people is not going to have a day in court where they come and state their case. Yeah, but Lord, my dad was so terrible with me when I was a boy and then, you know, people laughed at me and they scoffed at me and that really influenced me and I didn't grow up in a good socioeconomic system, Lord. And you know what? They were scoffing at me and I, they made me do it, Lord. It wasn't me. It's not going to be like that. There is enough time for you on this earth and the grace of God is so full for you to come to Him. That by now, all you're going to do is appear before Him. They're going to say, open the books. Do you know, do you know that there is books written of you today? There's books. All of these books, friends. Let's, let's look at them. Let's quickly look at a few. Just a just few. Psalm 56. Let me read it to you if you don't want to open up there. 56 verse, verse 8. Listen to this one. Your number my wanderings. Put my tears into your bottle. There's a bottle in heaven who's catching up all your tears. Are they not in your book? What is wanderings? Is where you walk, is what you say, is how you deal with people. It's written in a book. There's a book that's catching all of them up. There's a remembrance book. Malachi says this. Malachi chapter 3 verse 16. Let me read this for you. Malachi 3 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord list, listened and heard them. So, listen to this. A book of remembrance was written before Him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on His name. A book of remembrance. A book of your wanderings. Then in Psalm 139, I love this psalm. Psalm 139 verse 16. Listen to this. He says, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. This is while you were still in your mother's womb. This is why abortion is murder, okay? I won't go there. And in your book, they all were written. The days fashioned for me as yet were not none of them. There is books that's going to be opened. And listen to me carefully, friends, as we come to the end. There's books that's got every single thought of you recorded in heaven. Because God can know them. Not Satan, but God can. There's books of your wanderings, of what you do and when you do that. 
all those filthy things that you've done is written up in a book. Things that you, mom and dad may not have seen, your wife or your husband may not have seen. I, I just want to take some time here because I, I believe through the Holy Spirit this is important to, to emphasize this. Every single thing, how you deal with the dog, the cat, how you deal with people. If you are nasty with a person next to you, they might not even have known your intent, but the intent of your heart was, and you brought it over. That's written in a book. There it is, the remembrance books. And they will be open. Where? In the assembly where everybody will see what's happened. Now, if I ask you this question this morning, would you be happy right now for that to be disclosed? What if I can use this board right now and I can somehow zoom into your life the last week and play that quickly on this board? What you thought, what you said, the intents of your heart, if we can just quickly play it there, who's going to jump up first and say, pick me first? You see, we laugh about it in front of just, what, 40 people. Here at the White Throne, it's going to be in front of everybody. Your work colleagues, your bosses, your wife, your husband, your church family. Everybody that you've got respect for is going to see everything. Now here is great news. If you're a child of God, washed by the blood of the Lamb, listen. Listen very carefully to me now. That's blotted out. Those books of remembrance of the bad things you've done. Do you know what's happening? The judge will sit and he'll say, bring that book here. And you know who's going to stand up? The advocate. And he's going to say, that book has been nailed on the cross where I died for it. How wonderful is that? Think of that. But there is a massive but here. You have to come to the cross of Christ and bow to the cross and let the blood of Jesus Christ wash it away. Otherwise, I've got no good news for you. You'll stand and wait for your punishment. That's it. You'll wait there. When they read your account, they'll say, don't worry about bringing up that TV screen there. The only thing you'll see, this is my thoughts, okay? I'm not trying to read things into this. If you look at that and you go, where is John Shipman's book? Let's see the whole movie of his life. You know what you're going to see? You're going to see the cross of Christ. You're going to see a beautiful picture of Christ. He says, that is my child. You say, but wait a minute, I still do things which I shouldn't do while I'm a Christian. How great is forgiveness. How great is prayer and forgiveness. Let me finish off with the last verse. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. You see, this is the judgment. This is the second death. And anyone who is not found and written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You know, it's Jesus who said, Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in Him who sent me as everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. 
I wasn't planning to elaborate so long this morning, but I think I think I needed to say what the Holy Spirit wanted us to hear. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we learned so much, even in the book of Revelation chapter 20. And Father, yes, next week and the week after, it's going to be heaven. It's literally going to be heaven, Father. We're going to learn so much more about heaven where our hearts are longing to be. But before heaven lies the cross, before heaven lies the judgments, and we thank you, Lord, this morning that we know for sure in Christ we have life and life in abundance. 